Thanks for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast. Our heart is that everyone would find and experience true sanctuary that's only available in Jesus. We're currently in a series called Break the Soil out of Hosea 10-12, where we're giving the first three weeks of 2024 to prayer and fasting, uh, trying to break the hard soil of our hearts and really seek the Lord in this season. Uh, would love to have you pray with us. Just a quick note, our teaching often does include um, an, some discussion and community response. We do intentionally edit that out of this podcast to preserve uh, the confidentiality in the Sunday experience. So you'll likely not hear the full content or context of the teaching, but still our hope is that this will encourage you and equip you. And really, we're just so honored you're here. All right, here it is. All right, well, thanks, church. Um, today, I want to speak out of Second uh, Chronicles 14 through 16, which isn't a verse, isn't a passage we typically would, or a book we would typically break open on a Sunday. And I may have been a little ambitious because I didn't realize when I picked this passage how long it is. So we're going to buckle up. But you look like mature, wonderful believers that are ready to read this story of Asa. So first, Second Chronicles 14 through 16. Before we do it, let me just introduce this for a second. Um, we've been asking the question, or we've been actually, um, not asking the question, but, but, but we're living into the promise in this 21 days. We're 14, 15 days into it. This idea of seeking God, of wanting to be a church that comes together to seek the things of the Lord, to seek God in this new year. But I wanted to ask a question of us, not what we're seeking, but what is it that God is seeking? What is, it, what is God seeking? And if we could become a church that is living into what God is seeking, if we understand what's on his heart, what's on his, if he could pray, like, I know that's not a thing, but what, what would he want for us? What is he seeking? What is he yearning for? And I came to this verse, or this story in Second um, Chronicles. Uh, actually, it talks about seeking the Lord nine different times here. It actually has a, one of the most famous verses about what Jesus speaks, or what, what, sorry, what God seeks right in the midst of it. So I want to bring us here and ask the question, what would it look like to become a church that God is seeking? What is God seeking? We have a seeking God. He's seeking something. He's looking for something. What is it? And can we live into it? And we're going to see a case study from uh, Asa's life. I love a good case study. I'm a business guy, uh, working at a consulting company, and I often love reading business books. I read recently Bob Iger's uh, book, The CEO of Disney, uh, what is it called, um, Ride a Lifetime or something? Um, anyway, and just I love the idea of looking back over his long successful life and being able to learn lessons with the benefit of history, like looking back, what happened? What, what were the results of those decisions? It's not theory that's postulated out there. You're looking back and you're seeing what he put into practice, what happened, what, can we, what wisdom can we glean from that? I, um, I love a good business book or a documentary or like, life lessons, and we're going to take that, we're going to do that same thing from the, the story of King Asa. What does God want to teach from us? If we were going to make a documentary about him, if he was going to write a biography about him, what are the life lessons he'd say hey, after this life lived, 
this is what I can tell you. Imagine he's sitting here and he wants to take you to coffee and you got, you're just pulling up to Blue Bottle and you're saying, King Asa, I just want to glean the lessons of your life. That's what we're going to do today. So I told you, buckle up. We got three whole chapters to read today. I would love it if we could have six volunteers. That's a lot. Uh, but what I would love to do is have, break it up and have three people read three of the chapters. Don't worry, the names are a little iffy. Um, just be confident in pronouncing the names and no one's going to know the difference because <laughs> I don't know how to say it either. So uh, just, it's okay, like just get through them. Um, but I would love for three volunteers, one to read 14, one to read 15, one to read 16. And then uh, could I have three more volunteers to actually, after each person reads, to kind of summarize in your own words in layman's terms. It can be re- really short. It doesn't have to be like word for word. Just, just the main idea that was encompassed accompa- uh, in that chapter just so we can kind of get it in us. Does that make sense? Okay. Anyone want to be a brave soul to read? <laughs> Amazing. Okay, and what we'll do when we split into groups too, we'll just take one, I'll, I'll assign a, pa- a single passage to like a single chapter to each one. And So anyway, we'll get through this. Buckle up, King Asa. Ready? Awesome. All right, so let's break into groups. We'll just do this quickly. So we, we had some summary time already. Awesome. We'll just take five minutes. You ask the questions, what does it say about God? What does it say about people? Anything that comes out to you, and then we will keep going. The great observation. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And there's a parallel, too. He does the opposite at the beginning. I'll get to it in, in just a second as well. This is so good. Well, I mean, I think if I could summarize this up for us, or what do I think that God wants to speak to us, is God is looking for people whose hearts are fully his. Uh, in that second uh, prophecy in, in verse 9, you've probably heard it before, 2 Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. They're looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. In the kind of climactic scene when they're assembling everyone together to worship the Lord and they're making a covenant to God. In 15 verse 12 it says they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors with all their heart and soul. Um, If you do a little Control F search if you're looking at it online and just search heart. I mean, it's all over there. If you search seeking God, it's all over there nine times. God is looking for people whose heart are fully is. How do we become a church? That's a church we're saying. Our heart is fully yours, God. And I think in this life we see five things, uh, at least five things, uh, that uh, ingredients to becoming a whole-hearted Church, a, heart, a church whose hearts are fully his. Conveniently, you see I've arranged them to all begin in ours. Tom Shaw's legacy continues well here. Becoming a whole-hearted church. And all of these actually in different ways were hit on already. But I just want to go through them. And first of all, I think maybe you summarized it, repentance. When Asa comes to power, he comes and he inherits its power. He inherits its inherits inherits the throne. He inherits power, but he inherits a time of compromise and moral decline. It says actually his father, in verse 5, it says he actually has to go through every town. It says every town, every village, and had to tear down idols. So his father, uh, who's Abijah, uh, obviously under his watch, 
let these idols get built. He did nothing with them. If we looked at his grandfather, Rehoboam, in um, chapter 12, verse 1, it says Rehoboam abandoned the law of the Lord and all of Israel with him. In verse 14, it says Rehoboam did evil because he had not set his sight on the Lord. But when Asa comes to power, he's like, no, that legacy stops with me. And actually, if you read the first Kings version of this story, it says Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. And it's an interesting um, caveat, or it's an interesting observation. He is actually looking back through his own line, his own genealogy, and is like, I come from a rotten line. I can't follow the ways of my father. I can't follow the ways of my grandfather. I'm going to reach back into redemptive history and claim a new father for me. Claim someone that lived into the legacy that God has called. He said, my father, David. And I think some of us, I had someone tell me recently um, that it's like, be careful looking around and comparing like your own discipleship or like looking for mentors even in our own age because like the bar of discipleship has gotten so low in our time. It's like, you need to look back in history and read people in, in ages past and generations past because they need to mentor this generation. And it was encouraging me to like read through books of revivals, books of like how God used people in powerful ways to like animate our own imagination for what God could do, wants to do, is capable of. Uh, because we, w- what we see around us, I just think is just a small little sliver of what is capable of what God wants to do. God can do more than we can ask or imagine, right? Ephesians and 3. So if anyone, by the way, wants to like start a book club studying like revivals through the ages, I'd be happy to join. But we see in Asa, like he's claiming David as his father. He's saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to break some generational patterns and I'm going to walk in a new way as my father, David. And first thing he does when he takes power, we're told, is he goes town by town. Every town had idols built up and he tore them down. And I think there's a principle here. If the spirit of God is within us, he will not give us peace or rest if we're tolerating sin. If we're tolerating, he's a call for repentance. It says, actually, he gives us, he gives Asa, as he does this, a season of peace and rest that I hadn't experienced in the last two generations. And he enjoyed 10 years, I believe it says, of peace and rest after he goes through and starts boldly cutting down these idols. Anytime you're speaking on idols, it's a dangerous thing because God begins to reveal idols in your own life. This week, I mean, I could talk to you about all sorts of things that I struggled with this week. Uh, I, was, I was just like praying, God, what do you want to speak to me? And I was taking a bike ride uh, to work and, uh, and my co-working spot downtown and I misjudged the weather and the weather changed and it started raining. And I, I didn't realize this. I got a text from Kelsey just kind of frantically saying, hey, it's raining. Do you need me to come and pick you up uh, you know, from work so you don't have to ride home in the rain? And I, my first thought wasn't, how lovely, like, my wife wants to come and serve me in this way. Actually, it was, it was a rebuke from the Lord. I thought, I knew, know how busy her week was. I knew what was going on in her life this week. And I was like, she doesn't have time to come drive all the way downtown with the kids and, like, pick me up. Like, why is she so worried about, like, my problem that I got myself into? And the Lord immediately, like, brought into mind. I don't even remember all of the details of it. Kelsey could probably tell you way better than I. But several years ago, a couple of years ago, this same situation happened when I was caught out in the rain. 
And I remember, I, I think I called Kelsey and was like so frustrated, like so, uh, just like my whole day was thrown off and it was just, I was angry, I was frustrated, I was whatever. And like, she's like, fine, I'll just drop what I'm doing. I'll come pick you up, I'll solve it for you. And it was like my own arrogance, my own like needing for control. My, my, what I had was so important that I like put Kelsey out to come and grab me. And Kelsey's wonderful, amazing, as you know, she loves to serve. But what, she had, what I had taught her in that time in this situation is that my needs were so important. I, if I didn't get picked up, I was going to come home in a bad mood. I was going to come home frustrated. I was going to come home because I wanted you know, my, my way didn't get honored. I didn't, I wasn't able to, uh, you know, to, to get by. But anyway, so God just even this week convinced me of like this, this idol of arrogance, this idol of like putting myself first or expecting things always to have to go my way. And if they don't, everyone else in my immediate orbit has to kind of like tiptoe around me because I'm going to be upset and frustrated. And, and I just was convicted even this, this week of like my own arrogance and my own, um, anger uh, impacting those around me. And it's like, God wants to root that out. And what I love about Asa here is like, I think we create permission structures for sin unconsciously in the church. We, if we're not careful, we, we create these environments where Jesus can understand why we don't obey <laughs> his commands right? Like we've, we live in such a therapeutic culture. I love all that stuff, but we create these systems where, um, you know, it's just my struggle. It's just my Enneagram number. It's just my wound from my, my, uh, you know, family of origin. And we create these permission structures why there's reasons why you can't fully root out idols in your life. There's reasons why you fully can't repent. And what we see Asa do is actually just take the ax and like chop them all down. Like he uproots the idols in our life. I've told this story before, but I caught a call call from a friend um, in Nashville once who was, um, who had decided, he had resolved that he was going to be done with his addiction to pornography once and for all. Uh, And he called me, he had three young boys, he called me and says, this is a generational pattern that stops with me, I'm done. He's like, I've installed a, a, a filter on my phone. I've solved a filter on my, 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 my computer. But I know, actually, I've done that before, and I've got around it. I figured out that I could get around it through apps and go to Instagram and search certain things or whatever. And so, like, that's not going to cut it anymore. I'm deleting all those apps off my phone. I've had my wife change the password. I need, you, I need to come over to your house. I need her to come over to your house. You need to come over here. Um, so she can give you the password so you can be my backup if I can't access her. But I don't even have access to my phone anymore because I'm so committed to rooting this out of my life and being done. And praise Jesus, I'm pretty sure that was the last time he ever willingly subjected himself to those images. And he had written that out. But there became a point, like he was so committed. He wasn't going to say, well, this is just something that all guys struggle with or all people struggle with. He wasn't going to, he wasn't tolerating anything. He became so committing to uprooting it from his life. And I think for some of us, there may be that arrogance inside. There may be those habits that we've let form in our lives and we've given ourselves kind of a permission structure. We try to work on it, but we don't uproot it from our lives. And we see here, he goes through every town uprooting it. 
James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can resist the devil. And it says he will flee. He will flee. Like we can do this. First John 5, 21 says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So the first thing we see Asa do, radical repentance, reform throughout the land. What is it that God wants to say? 2024, there's 21 days of prayer and fasting. I can deliver you. I can deliver you if you let it. How do we uproot? What, what God wants to uproot in our lives. The second thing we see, oh, you can go back, I'm sorry, we'll stay on this slide for a little bit, yep, is radical reliance. And we've talked about it before. When, when Asa's peace that, he, that God gave him gets threatened, when, when what you love gets threatened, what happens? <laughs> What's really uh, underneath gets brought to the surface, right? Like when the pressure turns up, we find out what we really believe what we really do. It's easy for me to like seek God first during Christmas holiday. It's easy for me to be like a joy to be around with my family and be full of patience and peace and love and joy during the Christmas holiday. It's when I get back to work and my coworker leaves and now I've got to take over their job. It's when the client is really ticked off because I didn't deliver. It's when things happen. It's when Elliot won't stop hitting Josie for the 10th time. It's when the pressure, you know, turns up is that actually what's inside gets revealed. And we see this with Asa. A king comes and threatens his land. And what happens? The first thing he does, he relies on the Lord. Verse 11, it says, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us. Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. He had this perspective. The first thing he did was called on the name of the Lord in this part of his life. What was the result? Verse 12, I love the New Living Translation. It says, the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah. It's like, it's like it, was, it was understood. It was like the Lord that solved the problem. It was the Lord that did the battle. It was the Lord that went to my hope and prayer for sanctuary. I hope we grow. I hope many people come and worship Jesus. I hope that many people get set free. I hope that God does miraculous things. I hope that we see people like set free from addiction, set free from bondage. I hope we see marriages restored. I hope we see miraculous healings. I hope we see like trajectories of whole lives get changed. But guess what? It's going to be the Lord that does it. And we're going to say the Lord did that in the presence of sanctuary. It's like, that's why we come. We're, we're, it's 21 days. We're coming. We're calling on the name of the Lord. We're praying every day. God, you are the one that can do this. You are the one that can change things. You are the one. We, we're relying on you, God. That's what we're trying to do. And, and God promises to reward us in prayer. I mean, even Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray to the Father. It says, then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, what does it say? Will reward you. Like there's actually, he says we get rewards when we pray. He says the prayer of a righteous man, as James says, is powerful and effective. Much happens in prayer. And that's why we want to be a people that call on the God first. Our first priority, our first response is we're calling on the name of the Lord to do what mere mortals can. In the presence of God, he will do those things. Um, sorry, yes. 
Let's be a people who call. The third thing is responding. I think, Amanda, you hit on this. First, in chapter 15, we get there, and then the prophet of God is sent straight to Asa. And it says, immediately, he took courage. It says in verse 8, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, he took courage. And the next verse, same verse even, next sentence, he removed the detestable idols the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured even into the northern kingdom, a separate area. He immediately responds. He immediately does it. It says even later in the chapter, like, to the extent, like he is so committed to this, he takes on grandma. I think you pointed this, right? Yeah, like he goes and he says like, hey, grandma, your idol's got to go too. Like, you know when someone's like confronting generations back, when you're taking on grandma, you know you're serious. Like, you're like taking on generational sin pattern. I mean, imagine what that could be like, right? And he's like so committed to this. He's so responsive to the prophetic. And we come to a moment like this, like on Sunday morning, even in our midst, when someone walks up to the microphone, I think I have a word from the Lord. It's like, it challenges our hearts. Are we that type of people that just want to respond? Are we the type of people that want to respond? I mean, I think um, I, 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 we want to be a people that respond quickly to what God has to say. Sanctuary wouldn't be here. Honest truth. Sanctuary would not exist had it not been to responding to the prophetic word of God in our lives, in several of our lives. I mean, several of you wouldn't be here. And I think that's the testament. We want to continue that on. I mean, honestly, Oliver wouldn't be here had it not been for a prophetic word about us having, growing our family. Um, I think about Kelsey. I don't know, maybe this time last year or something, we were praying in this meeting together and she shared a testimony. We were really concerned about school for Josie for ne- this year. And every year, every family's different, every situation. Our, our story is not your story. So you, you got to decide for God for yourself on what to do, but we were wondering, should we pull Josie out of the private school, or out of public school, put her into private school, should we do homeschooling, should we change schools, like, what do we do, and there was so much fear, so much like, wanting to get the decision right, and, and Kelsey had a dream one night, I'm going to get the details wrong, but basically, the, 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 the moral of the story was like, hey, if you want to, if you want to make change, if you want to impact change, you got to do it from the inside, and not the outside, and again, that's not universal. That was like very specific to us. Everyone's got a different situation. We're going to take it year by year. But Kelsey knew <laughs> that when she woke up that that dream was speaking, God speaking to her and God speaking to us about actually trusting God again with our daughter going to public school. And even just this week, I think Kelsey shared a little bit about it. Josie came back um, this week and saw our little prayer cards that we're doing with the prayer first and was asking about the names, and I was explaining how we're praying over names of friends that we want to come to see know God. And Josie's like, well, I want to pray for my friends. And like, she started listing out friends. I won't say all the names, but like, like, I think there's six or seven of them. And then like the night we started praying over it, and she wanted to pray for her teacher too, that God, and so we started praying for people that she, he, she would have a chance to share Jesus with these people. And um, with these friends, and actually the next day she came home and it was like telling her about her best friend, how she was, she divulged to her about her home life wasn't that good. And she's like, I want to tell Jesus. I was like, great. So she put her, the Bible in the backpack uh, so that next, this is all her volition, so that she could go and read the Bible during reading time and share the Bible with her friend and share about Jesus. And she's praying and inviting him to church and praying that they all come on Easter. And anyway, and this is all a result 
of Kelsey, just to honor Kelsey, like hearing from the Lord and wanting to respond to God. And would we be a church that's so quick to respond to the prophetic? We've got some big prophetic words swirling over sanctuary right now that are kind of scary, that are kind of, that mean some changes. And we're praying through, what does it mean? What does it mean? Don't worry, we're staying here. We're more committed than ever, but it's just just some, some tweaks and, and things. And we want to be a church that says, when God says do something, like we go. And we see that in the life of Asa. Fourthly, rebuilding. It says in, in 15 verse 8, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. I think, Sarah, you hit it on it too. It's like, it's not just uprooting. It's not just repenting. It's not just reforming, but it's actually rebuilding, restoring what should be. Um, and there is a principle, I think, for us to know. Like, it's not just about uprooting the sin in our lives. Jesus actually said you can cast out a demon and uh, the, the, the heart can be clean. And then the demon can come back with seven of his friends and make it even worse than before. Like, if you don't replace what was cast out, if you don't replace what was uprooted in your life, like, you're just asking for you to struggle again. Actually, we want to create lives. We want to create church environments. We want to create cultures where sin is so unattractive because of we're living into the promises of God. We're living into, it's, sin is so inadequate for what we're doing, what we're living into, the, the calling that God has for us. And there's this principle of actually not just uprooting sin in our lives and a little quirk I have with or a little annoyance I have with like our, the modern take on accountability groups. It's like always focused on what you shouldn't be doing. It's like, did, you know, you get into these little accountable, accountability groups. Like, did you do that thing you're not supposed to do? No, I didn't do it. Okay, good. Just don't do it. Keep don't doing it. But we don't, like, hold each other accountable for the things that God has called us into and, like, stepping into our destiny, stepping into those things. And, um, and the, the issue is, like, a lot of these things that God has called us into or a lot of the habits, the rule of life things that, that foster this rich life, sometimes they have an acquired taste like some of the things that are, you know, the, the, the best things in life, like coffee and wine, you know, all these things, like they don't always taste great the first time that you, you, you sip it. But over time, it like is so rich and complex and you learn to love it. And a lot of these things that God wants to put into our lives, like they have an acquired taste. Like we don't always love coming to evening prayer. Like we don't, we'd much rather like take a nap and, and, and sleep, right? But like, and, I, and a lot of times, there's a lot of prayer meetings I've gone to. I don't want to be there. But by the end of it, I'm so glad I came. Like I'd never leave a prayer meeting, you know, wishing I hadn't come. And so there's these things that God wants to put in our lives that the sin is so great in the moment, but it leaves you feeling terrible. And a lot of these things that God is giving us is like, actually, they don't feel great immediately. But the compound effect, the interest that we get, the return we get is so rich, so meaningful. And so I just want to encourage us, not just as you think about, like, what is God calling us to root out of our lives? Actually, what is God also calling us to, to build in there? Um, a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, I just noticed my heart was starting to, like, covet and, like, become jealous when I looked at social media. It started, like, that resentment or, like, looking at other people and their lives and that classic, you know, stereotypical thing. But I actually felt God invite me to actually pray over every story I watched, like the person behind it, every post. And so it was this beautiful thing of like switching something that used to cause me to like covet. And now like it's causing me to want to lean in and bless and pray. 
And it's like even fasting a couple weeks ago, I talked about how we fast to like starve the flesh. But there was a whole community of early Christians that used that to actually give to the poor the money that they would have would have donated or would have used on food and serve the poor. It's like this idea of like actually instilling, rebuilding things, rebuilding things in our lives um, and not just destroying <laughs> the bad things. Um, and the final thing here is rallying. And I love this. This is kind of like the whole climax of the first part of, <laughs> of Asa's story. Um, it says he assembled all of Judah, verse 9 in chapter 15, he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among there. For, it says, for large numbers had come over to him from Israel. This is a divided kingdom from another country, really. Large number had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. So they took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and trumpets and horns, and all of Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and was found by him. You see Asa prioritizing the worship, the assembly, the rallying, the assembly of God's people at the temple. And it was so powerful that even people from other borders were crossing and Israel was becoming reunited organically under worshiping Jesus. And it's, it's actually this image of like the whole town just erupting in praise. I don't know if you heard it last night, at least in our neighborhood, after the Niners came back, the last, the last drive won it. There were fireworks going off outside. You heard like cheers. And, and it's almost that image of like that was happening as they were coming to the Lord. Like cheers, horns, fireworks, everyone is erupting in praise. And there's a priority in Asa's life to bring the children of God together, to rally to worship God. And we live in an age where it's very fashionable to not prioritize gathering together, to not prioritize the church, and actually to, to bash the church, right? To start blogs and podcasts, and when you start doubting, to, to, to bash all of the abuses of the church. And Lord knows there's a lot of abuses in the Western church that need reforming, that re need rebuilding. But we don't see Asa abandoning the temple because uh, it didn't work. He said, we see him rebuilding it. And we see the priority of the Bible here. It's like every, every letter in the New Testament is written to a specific church, a specific people with an address, a local church. And there's a priority of, it says in Acts, they gathered together day by day. Every single day they gathered together. It's like God is after building a body. He's an army. The, the metaphors for the church are all plural metaphors. An army, a body, a, a, a temple with living bricks coming together, a nation, all of these things. There's a priority of, uh, uh, of, of the gathered church coming together, God speaking through, not just individually, it's not just me and God, but everyone together. And I love the fact that other people were gathered. I, I believe, I pray for the day that the sanctuary church would be a place where people who have abandoned church, left church, have not plugged into church, say, oh, God is there. I miss that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go join that. And that's what we're trying to build. We're seeking God so that can happen. Um, I'm almost done here, I promise. The second half of life is kind of the opposite. The uh, second half of Ace's life is the opposite of everything we talked about. And we see this. He goes, if you can go to the next slide here, from radical repentance to complacent compromise. In, in chapter 15, verse 17, there's a little phrase here 
the text isn't entirely clear. I'm making some jumps here, but I think this is the root of what we see in Asa's life. In verse 17, it says, he did not remove the high places from Israel. So he, there's, there's, he's going into the other border, the divided Israel, the other, the northern kingdom, and he's, he's calling people to praise, but it says he didn't remove the high places there. So we see in Asa's life, he's leaving this little escape hatch for sin, and how easy it is for us to just leave those little escape hatches where we don't radically uproot everything. Complacent compromise. He goes from relying on God to merely getting by and figuring it out, to relying on old treaties, to not relying on God. How did he do it? I think this is interesting. Someone commented on us. He took the money that belonged to God in the temple and he gave it to mere mortals. I think, how often do I give things that belong to God my own approval, my value, my sense of worth. Only God gets to tell me that, and I give it to other people. How many times do we do that? He went from earnestly responding to God's word, being so responsive to the prophet, to treating it with cynicism and contempt. He sent him to jail. And we think, well, that's a bit um, extreme. First Thessalonians 5, Paul writes to us, don't quench the spirit. The Spirit comes in a way that we can quench it. He's so gentle to us. He's so, he's so um, you know, respectful to us. We can actually quench the Holy Spirit. He says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. 1 Thessalonians 5.20. We want to make sure that we're cultivating a soft heart, that we're responding to these. From giving our lives to rebuilding God's kingdom to building our own, simply asking God to bless our plans. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you as well. And from rallying God's people to splintering and dismissing the church. And we see in this closing scene and how small, even he has gout in his foot or some foot disease. And even at the very end of his life, he refuses to call in the name of the Lord. Asa is a man who saw God deliver him from miraculous things Asa is a man who had prophets sent to him to directly deliver God's covenant, right? He saw a whole city in exuberance in worship of God as a new covenant, as a new revival was brought. He saw all of those things, and this is the result. This is how he ended up. It should give us huge pause. It should give us a huge sense of, oh man, this could happen to us. Like, I haven't seen those things Asa has seen. I have to guard my own heart. We should be very cautious. This should give us extreme caution. It should give us extreme reverence to make sure that our heart is continually soft, that we would be wholehearted people, that we'd be a wholehearted church. So the question is, as we close, how do we become wholehearted people? I've talked about a few things, but I want to say this. You can hear a message like this, and you can feel, okay, I've got to try harder. I've got to clench my fist. I've got to muster it up the strength. I've got to rally up together. And actually, that would be the opposite. In this story, actually, we see it was God that provided the deliverance. It was God that provided the prophets. It was God that provided the direction. It was, it was actually Asa, in the first half of his life, defaulting to God, looking to him, actually taking a position of weakness, relying on God's strength, not his own. And we see that in the way of Jesus, the way into the kingdom, the way through the kingdom, 
is the way of weakness. James 4, 6 says, God gives grace to the humble. There's that parable in Luke 18 that I love that Jesus is saying, two men go into the temple, a tax collector and a Pharisee. Tax collector is beating, you know, saying, look at me, I'm so thankful I'm not like these sinners. It says he trusted in his own righteousness. But it was the tax collector, the one who kind of fleeced his own people. He couldn't even look to God and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said it was that person that became justified to God. It's the way of humility. It's the way of weakness. It's actually admitting that we can't do it on our own. Psalm 86, 11 through 13 says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name, as Sarah brilliantly taught us last week. I will praise you, my Lord, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Last thing I wanted to say this, say is this. A half-hearted response is simply inappropriate to a God who is whole-hearted towards us. We, sought, we seek him because he first sought us, right? We love him because he first loved us in the garden even. It was after Adam and Eve sinned, right? Who was it that came after? It's God looking at Adam and Eve in the garden coming after him in Revelation at the very end. It's him knocking at the door to the book of Ephesus and saying, come. Or so the church of Ephesus is like, I'm, I'm knocking. I want to come in and eat with you. I stand at the door and knock. Would I come? He's seeking us. It's the God that leaves the 99 sheep and comes after the one. It's the God when the prodigal son is coming on the horizon. He lit, he's, you know, hikes up his robe and runs after him. He spares no expense in throwing him an exuberant party. God has spared no expense for us. The cross is not a half-hearted gesture. The giving of the Holy Spirit is not a half-hearted thing. He's given everything for us. Ephesians 1.3, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He's given us a new purpose, a new calling, a new identity, a new heart, a new covenant, a new spirit, new gifts to serve the world with his presence, a future, an inheritance. He is all in on you. So we want to be the only logical response to this God is a wholehearted response. D.L. Moody says, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And I just wonder, has the world seen what God can do with a church wholly consecrated to him? I want to encourage us this last week in this 21 days of prayer. If you haven't joined us yet, I want to invite you to join us in. We've got seven days left in this season. It doesn't have to stop in seven days, but would you join us? I'm really seeking God and praying for this church, for our lives, for our neighbors, for our friends, that God would do what only he can do. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's searching and he wants to open the resources of heaven and pour it down on, on people, on churches, on his bride, 
that's seeking him. He's looking for people to empower with his resources. God, we just thank you so much uh, for this message, Jesus, of Asa and this lesson. And we just come to you with humility saying, oh man, that could be us. That could be us. Keep us. Keep our hearts soft, God. Keep us wholehearted to you. Make us, Jesus, a wholehearted people. Yeah, if we've, this last year, let sin creep in, Father, just pray, invite you right now to meet us, to speak to us. Where have we traded what belongs to you to other people, God? Where are we not relying on you? We're relying on our own strategies, Father. Where are we making excuses for our sin, God? Where are we not living in to what you have called us to rebuild? Just invite you here, God. We, we pray, would you make us a people that seeks after you with our whole hearts? We're incapable on our own. So we, we pray, God, would you do it? Would you do it? We humble ourselves before you and just ask you to speak, God. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast. If we can be of any help to you, please don't hesitate to contact us at hello at sanctuarysf.com. We would love to connect. And wherever this finds you, may you experience the grace and peace of God our Father.